time of study, I'll go ahead and dismiss our little treasures, our age three, four, and five-year-olds, as well as our K through five. They gather in the back room there, and little treasures goes upstairs to have age-appropriate lesson. And as they are going their way, I'll ask Abby Dykstra to come up this morning. And as I mentioned, we're going through Psalm 23. I'll put that right there. And Abby had an ability to take a trip. Actually, let's all stand again because uh, one thing I wanted to do was give reverence to Scripture. This is something that we uh, try to remember on a regular basis. To stand in the presence of what God is giving us and to do this together. And so I'd like to recite Psalm 23 all together. Uh, You've heard this several times now throughout the Lent season. So let's say these words together. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for His name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, and my cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Thanks be to God for His holy and inspired word. You can have a seat. And we're going to go back on the slides there to verse 5. And that is our focus for today especially. And here's your microphone. And one of the things that I wanted to sort of start with or, or give a mention to is that in the uh, specific language that David is writing, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies, is really talking about preparing a table in the presence of suffering, in the presence of struggle, in the presence of a difficult time. And so as we hear from Abby, as we discuss that premise just a little bit more, the hope is to understand about what God is doing in the middle of something hard, in the middle of something difficult, in the middle of a place where we might think this is a presence of something struggling, this is a presence of something difficult. And that leads into some of what Abby has to share, because you recently went on a trip And that was a trip that was kind of opening your eyes to some struggle, to some difficulty. Could you share with us, number one, what that trip was, but how you heard about it, how you got involved in it, where the offer to go came from? Yeah, so I, about a month ago now, went to Tanzania with um, the blonde hair over there. Um, I'm a junior nursing student at Dort. That's, I guess, a little bit of my background. Mm -hmm. Um, I heard about the trip through... um, it was an email chain that was sent out. We don't get a lot of opportunities to travel as nursing students, so this one caught my eye, heading out to Africa. And um, initially when I saw the email, I just thought, you know, it's probably not going to happen. Um, who, who has time to fit in a trip to Africa in their college years? Mm-hmm. And 
my friend Alinda, she just said, no, Abby, we should really do this. And I said, okay. And I prayed to God. And I was like, God, I'll do all the steps you need me to do. I'll do the paperwork. I'll do the interview. If you want me to go on this trip, then find a way to make all of this happen. Mm. And there was a waiting period. And um, eventually I heard back and was accepted for the trip. And then I got ready to fly 32 hours to Tanzania. Mm-hmm. So, And when you got there, uh, after all of that preparation time, were you surprised by anything? Or was it, oh, this is kind of what I expected. This is uh, what they told us about. Or was it a little bit more of a shock to you? It was definitely shocking. So um, I've been a member of this church for, I think, about five years now. Mm -hmm. Um, And I've done some smaller term mission work, but never anything like going overseas to Africa. Mm. And um, that really opened my eyes to the first time, just seeing true poverty and suffering, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, it, it was it was difficult most days just to see the condition that these people live in mm-hmm. and to know that we could only help so many people. Um, and so I guess I should backtrack a little bit too. I went with a medical mission group. I went with a nurse, um, and I'm a nursing student. Alinda's a nursing student and a spine surgeon. And what we did is we went out and um, partnered with hospitals in Tanzania, and then were able to give free medications, some free surgeries, and lots of other um, ways that we helped those people just through the faith and emotional support as well. So. Mm-hmm. And so be able to walk alongside them, mm-hmm. right? Right. When we were talking back and forth about this, one of the things that you really noticed was their reaction when being helped. Can you describe that a little bit, that scenario of being with someone in a difficult situation, and you don't certainly have to get graphic about their specific situation, but there were some hard, hard physical deformities or struggles that you saw and you were able to right a couple of wrongs as far as a body goes, but then there was a real appreciation, you said. Describe their reaction and some of those things that you were able to assist with. Right, so as a nurse, yeah, we're taking care of the person medically um, in ways that we can, and we're also supporting them emotionally and praying for them. And Mm. so that's something that I've learned at Dort is just to really you know, not neglect that emotional and faith aspect of caring for a person. And Mm -hmm. so, um, you know, I would take some time and I would, you know, hold my patient's hand and say, look, God's with you. And like, I'm praying for you. Like, Mm -hmm. I know this is rough, but like, it's going to be okay. And I've never, ever seen it where just their whole body relaxes. And the Mm. amount of trust that I could see in my patient's in God was just incredible to me Mm -hmm. because I have said those words to patients here in the States and it's, I've never seen the uh, reaction quite like I did in Mm -hmm. multiple patients Mm -hmm. in Tanzania. So that was something very impactful to me, I guess, to see and the trust in God. Mm -hmm. So to ask you to assume a little bit, I suppose, but why, why do you assume or why do you think they reacted that way? Like, why has it become more real those words versus when you've said them before? Their culture, I would say, from what I learned in my three weeks in Tanzania, is Mm. uh, it's very community-based, and it's also religious, like focused on religion. And Mm -hmm. so what they hold on to isn't as much of like the material 
things that they possess, mm-hmm. but it's more about the people and the communities that they form. Their church family and their their relationship with God is is something very 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 close to their hearts, which mm-hmm. I just yeah like took that away with me when I was coming back home. It was like, wow, we need to focus on that. That's really what matters. Mm-hmm. So A lot of trust, it sounds like, right? Do you have specific examples of where you were able to or you were able to help them trust God in a circumstance or trust God in an outcome of one of the situations or something like that? Yeah, there's so many examples, I guess, of that. Yeah. Um, one that comes to mind was um, we partnered with a hospice team in Tanzania, which was a really cool opportunity. So we went into, I went into four homes for two days. Um, and we just would go in, we would bring the family food, we would bring um, the team with us and we would pray for them and just assess them medically as well and like mm-hmm. make sure their mm-hmm. medications and everything was in line. Mm-hmm. And... Um, yeah, just, I remember this one woman, she had been diagnosed with brain cancer, and it was a very graphic, very graphic case um, mm-hmm. in a third world country where they don't screen for cancer, they don't have many opportunities to treat it, it, mm-hmm. it gets very difficult very quickly, and mm-hmm. yeah, so getting to sit with her and pray with her was, yeah, I could just see, like, the amount of trust and the amount of, um, it was a hard situation, you know. She's likely going to leave behind her two kids and mm-hmm. husband within a matter of weeks, and yeah, it was, I guess, impactful. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And as you see that, as you see that kind of trust, one of the things that we mentioned in several conversations is it increases your trust then too, right? Because you see someone display that kind of faith, and it has to change your faith walk. It has to, I would assume, make some effects on your faith life, on your uh, plans or or walking forward. How do you think that has changed your view or changed some of your path going forward? The experience, but also like specific examples like her. Um, Again, so when we were out working, we went out to really, really rural. Um, We called it Maasai land. It's basically tribal African countryside and we were setting up day clinics and assessing um, we saw over 150 patients each Mm. day Um, and in those days where I would interact and meet with a patient after patient after patient was just with heartbreaking cases and just medically things that I've never seen before and things that I've never had to face here in the United States was just emotionally exhausting and draining and it was difficult because I would walk outside and I'd see 75 more patients in line and have to you know kind of recollect myself and I would just I would throw my hands up I would I would just pray like God get me through this this Mm -hmm. is hard why do your people have to suffer like this Mm -hmm. and so just truly like giving God all of my trust was something that I've never, I guess, had to rely on him in such a real, real way. Mm -hmm. The amount of fear and just the amount of exhaustion that, yeah, I was experiencing in those moments and how God carried me through Mm -hmm. and allowed me to continue to help those people, I guess, was, yeah, something I'll remember. That's incredible. And that's what you carry with you, I'm sure. So we're going to have a time after the service where Abby can answer some questions 
Also, you have a video that we can kind of see some specifics of where she served, of what it was that was taking place on a given day. So we're going to watch that video, and you're going to stick around and answer a few questions. Until then, could I pray for you on behalf of our church, on behalf of what you have done and what God is going to do uh, continuing forward? All right, let's pray. God, we have an opportunity to thank you, to praise you, to stand in awe of you as we hear how we see glimpses, uh, as we hear how we see foundational faith become real. God, there's so much that you are doing, not just in our community, not just in our church. There's so much that you're doing around the world. And I praise you and I thank you that you are sovereign and that you are good and that your kingdom is continuing on in the presence of suffering, in the presence of wondering, you prepare a table and you did prepare a table for Abby on that trip. You gave her your presence. You gave the people that she was working with your presence. And I thank you that you are a God who continues to do that. God, I pray a blessing on the people that Abby served with, the ministry that she was involved with. I pray that that work would continue. I pray that they would receive your blessings financially, emotionally, physically. I pray that they're provided for. God, I pray for Abby as a daughter of the church. I pray that as this foundational event as this trip changed her life, I pray that it would continue to be an opportunity to see you working in her life. I pray that she looks back on it with good thoughts, with thoughts that even though it was some hard times, even though there were some difficult times, it was a time where she saw you working clearly. And as you were faithful in that moment, Keep being faithful in her life, God. Help her to make decisions according to you. Help her to follow your path as you lay it out for her. We pray this all in your holy and incredible name. Amen. Well, thank you, Abby. Thank you, Living Water. Yep. Thanks. Hopefully that gives us a backdrop to continue talking about Psalm 23, especially with the understanding of having this time in the presence of suffering, in the presence of something difficult. I wanted to share just a couple more thoughts before we get into celebrating communion, before we celebrate in a way of sitting down with each other. I wanted to remind you of a couple things that come out of that specific verse. A reminder that that word enemies is translated from a word that means anything that causes distress, anything that causes suffering. And so God makes a table in the presence of what is meant to cause pain and suffering. Maybe just maybe that is a line, that is a word that you can hold on to this morning. God makes a table for me in the presence of suffering, in the presence of distress. 
So God making a table there implies just a couple of things, at least a couple of things. First, it implies staying there. Staying in that moment of distress or suffering. It implies that he makes that table and he sits down there. In the presence of distress, in the presence of suffering, we often talk about either fight or flight. We talk about the ability to put your dukes up and fight your way in that situation. Or we talk about flight, getting out of that situation, running away. My question and perhaps David's option here, what if there is a third choice? What if in that time of distress and suffering, it is not as simple as saying, I only have these two options. I can either fight or I can flight. What if there is more to it than that? What if your response isn't fight or flight, but instead sitting down and eating with Christ? Think about the implications of that. Think about what that looks like in your life. Allow the Holy Spirit to offer to you in your specific option that you are thinking of now that choice of sitting down with Christ in the middle of the suffering. A couple of examples. Christ takes a nap when the storm is overcoming the boat. If you remember that story where they were set out to sea and the disciples were shocked and overwhelmed and scared and Christ was napping. And as they wake him up, he simply calms the waves, he calms the sea, and he wonders to them why they were so overwhelmed and why they were so scared. Another example, Christ kneels down to write in the sand when the Pharisees are asking if a person caught in sin should either live or die. Rather than pick up a stone, rather than chastise the ones that are picking up the stone, Christ instead kneels down and writes in the sand. It seems to make no sense, but it is that incredible third option of neither fight nor flight. Another example, Christ takes His place on the cross. After being accused of something He did not do, after having false witnesses come and give testimonies that He is somehow involved in this conspiracy, He does not say a word. And as one Old Testament prophecy says, as a sheep before its shearers is silent, Christ stands and takes it and ends up on the cross and in an incredible act of humility and forgiveness asks for them to be forgiven. Maybe, just maybe, any of those well-placed examples could be an example in your specific life. The question that the Holy Spirit and you are going to have to wrestle with is, what does sitting down and dwelling in a place of distress and suffering look like for you? Maybe it means you're headed to Africa and you are going to dwell in a place of suffering. Maybe it means you show up to work 
in a place where you aren't extremely excited to go, but you realize that they need to see the light of Christ. Maybe it means that in your group of friends, as they are deciding something that is not in step with Christ, you do something different. There are implications to sitting down in the presence of distress and suffering that the Holy Spirit can speak to you. The second idea from you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies is this. Where does your focus lie? For Him to prepare a table before us implies an invitation. It brings with it an ask to not just have you sit down and eat, but instead to sit down and eat with Him. As He is preparing the table, He is inviting you to sit there with Him. An invitation for us to keep focused on the person across from us. To keep focused on our relationship with Him. To not allow our focus to become what is happening around us. To not allow our focus to become the enemies or the distress or the suffering. But instead, to stay focused on Christ. How do you stay in the knowledge that that pain and that suffering is happening and yet not let it become your focus? How do you keep your eyes upon Jesus and yet realize that pain and suffering are real? In the words of one famous hymn, you turn your eyes upon Jesus. You look full in His wonderful face. The things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. I'll close with this. How annoying is it when you sit down to eat with someone, whether you went out on a date, whether you went out for a lunch meeting, whether you're sitting at home, you're sitting across the table from someone and the constant posture of that other person is looking at the people around your table. Or maybe even more contextual, looking at their phone. How possible is it for that to constantly be a struggle? To sit across the table, but yet to have someone not pay attention to you. Isn't it so much more meaningful and polite to focus on the person you're eating with, to have eye contact, to have a conversation, to not allow the distractions, whether it's in the restaurant or on the phone or whatever it may be, to not allow those distractions to take away from the person that you are meant to sit there with. Isn't this a picture of our life? When we consider God Himself preparing a table in the presence of our enemies and the temptation for us is to look around our table and to see who else is there, to see what else is happening, to even see is there a threat of enemies around me. The challenge that David gives through this psalm is to stay focused on who you are there with. To stay focused on the one who got the table ready. God himself prepares a table for us in the presence of our enemies. 
Take him up on his invitation. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Will you pray with me? God, bless us with the ability to stay focused on you. God, bless us with the ability to not ignore the pain and the suffering, but to not let our focus lie on it. God, thank you for preparing a table for us in the presence of everything going on. Thank you for being a God who sits down with us. Thank you for being a God who does not fly away, who does not always put arms up and fight, but for being a God who loves in the middle of presence, in the middle of enemies. God, do that again today as you have done in the past. Show us examples Allow us to see through our scripture. Allow us to see through each other's testimonies that you are good and that you are God. In your incredibly holy name we pray. Amen.